Bergeron. Across for Chara. He hammers one here. Save. Rebound. Yes, Bruins score! Like they did last night. Late in game six. Horton trying to work the puck out front. Can't do it. Under a minute to go. Here's Yager. Bergeron. David Krejci to Bergeron. Screenshot scores! Sagan's shot was stopped by Reimer. Another shot off the wing. That didn't get through to the net. Might have hit Brad shot. Here's Bergeron with a shot. Rebound is loose. Sagan can't get it. Oh yes, a goal that will live in infamy, one that every Leafs fan will roll their eyes at for the rest of their lives. Patrice Bergeron actually credited with the game winner, not Brad Marchand. Seven years ago today was the Boston collapse, the meltdown up 4-1 with 11 minutes to go in the third period. Squandered it and lost in overtime. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Lease podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. What we're going to be talking about today is the Maple Leafs collapse in Boston, the Game 7 meltdown. It's the seven-year anniversary, so what better time to talk about it? But we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. Instead of really dwelling on that game and discussing how terrible it was for Leafs Nation, we're going to look at the positive side and why that loss was so pivotal in Leafs history, which I believe helped shape the Leafs of today. We're going to be joined by Dave Morissuti to go through all this with me. Dave, how's it going, pal? Oh, Mike, now that I know which road we're going on, could be better. <laughs> oh, I know. It, it's the 7th anniversary of the Game 7 meltdown in Boston. And on this week, uh, during the Locked On, all the Locked On shows are kind of going over some what-ifs in their franchise history. And I thought, what better what-if than talking about what if the Leafs didn't lose that game? What if Nathan Horton didn't score to get them back into it? What if Lucic didn't bang in that rebound in front of the net to cut the lead? What if Reimer made that stop what if Cody Franzen and Jake Gardner weren't just puck watching and chick Bergeron during the <laughs> uh on the the I gives the game tying goal actually you know so many what ifs like does Toronto make a Cinderella run to the finals like Boston did do they maybe win the cup I don't know that's the kind of stuff that we'll be discussing in today's podcast the what ifs but first obviously we got to kind of lay it out there the game seven collapse Nazem Kadri scoring a goal in the third period, extended the lead to three. I thought it was over. I was like, all right, good. They're up 4-1 uh, in the third period. Just got to clamp down, shut her down, and, and away we go. We're moving on to the second round. I'm already trying to get tickets to, to watch the Rangers play at the ACC. And then it happened. The Leafsiest of Leafs things happened. And within... Literally within an hour of that 4-1 goal by Kadri, the Leafs were eliminated from the playoffs. And Leafs Nation was crushed and in disbelief in what just happened. What do you remember from that night? Oh, oh man. I remember a lot of things from that night. Let's start with the Kadri goal I remember especially because I got excited. Just because, you know, Leafs were up 4-1. You know, it's... 10 minutes left in the third you're pretty pretty confident with that lead i just remember my dad was walking up the stairs he wasn't really watching the game it was really weird he wasn't really watching he's just like 
yeah, Leafs are losing this. And I looked at him and was like, are you crazy? And he's like, they're going to blow it. I was like, no, nah, there's no way. And Matt Fryan had almost made a 5-1. And then the Bruins had got that 4-2 goal. And the nerves weren't too bad. And then they score the 4-3 goal. And I'm just like, this isn't good. It's getting pretty, pretty bad. And then, you know, eventually they tie it up. And I was just like, I didn't know what to think. I thought they were done at that point. I felt like this team just just didn't have the mental fortitude to get over it. As soon as they got that tied game, Boston just, they smelled blood and it was, that was it. Yeah. So up four, one less than 11 minutes ago in the game, Nathan Horton scores at the nine eighteen minute mark to make it four, two. You start sweating a little bit. Toronto able to hold off Boston for quite a bit. And uh, Boston forced to take out Tuka Rask in the final couple of minutes in the game. Lucic bangs away at a rebound to cut the lead to one. And then Patrice Bergeron tying the game in the final minute. And that pest, Brad Marchand, completing the comeback in overtime, eliminating the Leafs and setting themselves up for a long playoff run to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, Now, for myself, it's kind of funny. I had an interesting perspective of that game. Clearly, I've gone back and I've watched it since. Um, but I actually was kind of listening to it on the radio. Uh, I was, my brother was actually shooting a movie in Hamilton and we were, we were on set and it also happened to be the night of my 19th birthday. (laughs) Uh, but we were on set, uh, at this movie and I remember everybody in the crew kind of huddling around once the third period got underway and once it became 4-2 that's when things really got a little weird I remember everyone was just kind of you know oh oh the Leafs scored oh Kadri scored it's 4-1 let's go and we were all kind of settled at that point then when it became 4-2 like you said nerves started to set in a little bit and then again 4-3 and then 4-4 I just see the guy who was holding the radio his face, he just was in disbelief and couldn't believe that they just surrendered that lead, much like everybody else was. And then uh, and then the, the final goal, we were all kind of watching or listening, I guess, during the playoffs. And uh, Bonesy called the final goal. Marshawn ended up scoring, and, and that was really it. And the, the mood in that room was so glum, which it's – you don't expect that to be like you're on a movie set. You expect things to just not to affect you that way. And uh, everybody was just like in total awe and disbelief of what just happened. It was a very shitty way to spend my 19th birthday. I can tell you that. (laughs) All right, we'll get back to this conversation in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you guys about the best tasting protein bar ever. And that's the Built Bar. They are tasty. They are healthy. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors. They have eight chocolate and nut flavors covered in 100% chocolate, but also eight chocolate nut free flavors, which means there's a bar for everyone. They're soft and they're easy to chew and best yet, they are tasty and healthy. It's a great bar for a health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a nice, delicious treat. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, but high protein and high fiber. One of my favorite kinds, I swear to you, I've had this one and I just keep buying it and needing it. It's the peanut butter brownie. Tastes just like a cookie. It's got 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and just 3 grams of net carbs. And it's loaded, loaded 
with protein with that 20 gram protein it's fantastic it's great i keep buying them my family keeps eating them on me so i have to keep buying and buying them again and it's absolutely fantastic and if you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on you can get ten dollars off your first order you can use the promo code locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com well let's take a look at that team that was playing for the leafs at the time um Certainly nowhere near as near as skilled as they are right now. I I don't think anybody could argue that they had a better team back then. But for some reason, you still have that thought that if they would have just been able to hold on in that third period, they might have been able to go on that long run because Boston did, right? Now, maybe that was just adrenaline for coming back in a huge Game 7, and they kind of propelled that all the way through. Like, keep in mind, that was before Bergeron became an an, an all-class player, before, you know, Marshawn became an MVP-esque player. You know, Tuka Rask was still, you know, just a couple of years into being a, a starting goaltender. Um, you know, they were still a rather young team. Like, they were a, a, uh, well, Chara, I guess, was still older, but... You know, still a decently young team, um, but you look at the Leafs, I'm taking a look at the roster, and, and I just don't see how this team, uh, like, it doesn't make sense. You know, like, when I think of, oh, could they have gone on a run because just because they took Boston to, to seven games, to overtime in game seven, and they went to the cup final, maybe they could have gone on a run. But, man, like, JVR, Kessel were really your two your two guys other than that like nobody else really was on this team like you had a young cadre who had a really good season that was kind of his breakout year um lupul i suppose was was healthy at the time which is good but man like just taking a look like matt fratton is up there grabowski uh ryan like kumalin played seven games for this team uh who else we got here like the jay mcclement fraser mclaren era like this team colton Orr wasn't great james reimer between the pipes god bless his soul he played outstanding but i mean he's nothing to write home about i honestly don't think that this team would have been able to do much if they even would have made it past boston yeah, I mean, you mentioned the roster there. I mean, they had, you know, a premier goal scorer in Phil Kessel. As you said, JVR was, you know, he, he was probably their best player in that series, if you really look back at it. And, you know, Cody Franzen was stepping up offensively for them. Kadri had that big breakout game in uh, in Game 7. But other than that, they just they didn't have that, that guy that could really carry them. I actually think when they lost Tyler Bozak, because remember, Tyler Bozak didn't play that game seven. I feel like that was a big, big blow to their chances to even make it make it a series. Uh, I didn't think they were going to win game seven because of that. They, they wielded themselves close, but who knows how long Bozak would have been out for after that. And I think that would have impacted their chances going into another series at round two. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I definitely think that that could have impacted things greatly and probably would have been a second-round exit, but I think the the fact that they would have beaten Boston would have been enough of a coup to think, like, okay, we might only be, like, a piece, a piece or two away. And, you know, obviously, based on how things turned out the following couple of seasons, that wasn't the case. Um, so it's, I guess, they did end up making a pretty large signing, 
later that summer. Uh, you may have heard of uh, David Clarkson, uh, the individual that they ended up signing to a, a pretty lengthy contract. And not to get off topic, but I was taking a look at the free agent class from that season, and everyone talks about how bad the 2016 free agent class is with like Lucic, Erickson, Ocpozo, Ladd. But like 2013 was bad, like really, really bad. Like take a look at a lot of the players that were there, like Horton, uh, Clarkson, uh, like Lane. Like there's so many teams, so many players that honestly I don't even think played another 100 games of their career after signing long-term deals that summer. Like it was actually insane how bad they were. And, and the Leafs got caught. They ended up thinking that they may have been closer than they really were. Um, and they ended up signing David Clarkson. They wanted that grit to try and beat a big, rugged team like Boston. And we all know how that turned out. So maybe if they would have beat Boston, then they would have felt like they didn't need to go out and get that rugged gritness of a David Clarkson. You know, maybe they do and they get somebody else or, or, or whatnot. But, you know, you're just thinking of what, what would have changed. And, and I can tell you right now, if they would have won that game and they would have kept going, Dion would probably still be here. If they would have went on a run, Captain Dion probably would have been here with a dwindling, terrible contract. Matthews would not be here. Marner would not be here. Freddie Anderson probably wouldn't be here because they would have thought that James Reimer was the savior. Like this team would be so different the way that things shook out. Honestly, I feel like it kind of, worked in the Leafs favor because there would have been so many so much false hope over that team just because they made a run uh that you know obviously in hindsight we now know that that team was not good and nowhere near as being ready to compete uh for not even a playoff spot like let alone a Stanley Cup exactly I mean they they gave big money well not big money but a decent chunk of change to Joffrey Lupul you know, he got five years at over $5 million, which when you look back at it, why would you give a guy that's so injury prone? Again, I hate saying injury prone, but a guy that's had his injury history like he has, why would you sign him to that type of deal? I wasn't, uh, I didn't really see the point in that one. And then I look at the other, at the other deals. I mean, I'm looking at the, at this 2013 class. Honestly, the only guy that seems to have worked out Pro, like intent like the way it intended uh you can maybe say alfredson i think he went to the, uh, the red wings that year yeah yeah i mean and i mean detroit was still kind of in their contention at that point but i mean he didn't have a massive impact but he wasn't terrible i think bozak the fact of what he was able to do in his time with Toronto, I, I don't think it was a failure. I just think it was a miscast on what he uh, on what he was supposed to provide and what he did provide. Uh, I mean, the Clarkson deal we can it's probably the worst deal out of all of them, just based on length and production, and the fact he only lasted I think what two years, two three years he left. So. <laughs> Sorry, he he only lasted. A couple years, got booted off the team for a nothing deal to get rid of his salary, and then to come back for the very exact same reason. It still boggles my mind how all that kind of went around. But yeah, that that free agent class, if you look at it, it is 
putrid. I've never seen one as bad as this one. As I'm like going through the list here, and yeah, I mean, there's and the, and you're right about you know how the Leafs roster, like it's almost unrecognizable. I think the only thing from that roster that did get dismantled that I probably sh- that probably shouldn't have gone dismantled was that Grabowski MacArthur Kuhlman line. I don't know if you remember how good that line was consistently. It, it kind of started going off the rails when Carlisle came in because he, he didn't, I guess, he didn't like guys like Grabowski uh, he, and stuff like that. But I I felt like, you know, the Leafs' identity was starting to change and it was changing in the wrong way in a way because I felt like, the consistency wasn't there, and you know, and that's why Brendan, when Brendan Shanahan came in, he realized that everything just needed to go because it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, something that I found really interesting too, when taking a look at like you think about revisionist history and what's going on with with you know this team and and what would have happened, and. You know, I just look and I can't help but think if this team would have won on a run, would they have thought that Phil Kessel, who had a pretty good season that year, scored 20 goals and then was the second highest uh, scorer in in uh, in the playoff series against the Bruins, would they have thought that he could be a guy to build around? Because I know when you when you give up two first round picks like they did, you got to think that he is a player that they might be able to build around, and. Obviously, we know that that's not the case, but if they would have went on a run, you know, he can't be the guy on a winning team. He's just, he's not a player to build around, and I feel like there would have been some sort of, of false hope or false, um, false. Uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but they would have essentially built around Phil Kessel, and, you know, when he won those cups in Pittsburgh, he was like, the fifth or sixth guy on the team the first year actually he was a a really 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 good contributor but still um I just feel like when you look back I think this loss helped Toronto get to where they are today because it allowed them to realize that they really aren't as good as a team as they thought yeah I mean you brought up the part about Phil Kessel there and I think you're totally right in that Look, it's convenient, not convenient, but it was when he moved to Pittsburgh and he won that cup, it was kind of like everybody's chance to bring it back to the Leafs and like, oh, you just let it, you said this guy couldn't win, but then he went on to win two cups. I kind of think that, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Matt Murray, you know, there was, and Chris Letang, I think those guys had a little more to say that than just Phil Kessel alone. So I definitely agree with that. And I think the whole building around Phil Kessel was a flawed plan from the beginning. I just didn't think he was even, I mean, take away just the play of it on ice, off the ice. He just wasn't built for the Toronto market for what Toronto needed from a star player, which it was unfortunate because, you know, he was a nice guy. He, you know, he did his absolute best given the circumstances. It was just not, the right process, I mean, the right plan put around him. And I'm very surprised because Brian Burke, when you look back at the team that finally got him that cup in Anaheim, 
yeah, it had the Leafs had some of those t- the toughness, but they didn't have the blue line. The goaltending wasn't there, and they're like, I mean, you look at the guys that even up front that Anaheim had, especially down the middle. You know, it, 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 I I just didn't get the the way that they were going about building the roster, and uh, and I think you know it was just really necessary that it all kind of was just purged and yeah now the Leafs are better for it and me some people would say otherwise but yeah the Leafs are definitely on the, a better path than it, when you compare what happened from 2013 and on take a look at the 18 wheeler right like that that wasn't far away from this and that was really uh oh crap this team really needs an overhaul there is something wrong with the culture here. Uh, we need to change things fast. And they did. Uh, you know, they ended up bringing in Babcock, who it didn't end well with Babcock. But at the time, that was definitely a big coup for, for the Leafs. And, and, and it was kind of what they needed at the time. Shanahan came into the picture a year before that to assess things. Um, and then bringing in Lou Lamorello and, and Kyle Dubas. And I just think that, you know, they uh, – this loss, this painful loss, gave them a chance to reevaluate their team, their organization, their direction. And now with, you know, looking back on it, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that this loss was is a very important and pivotal kind of moment uh, in Maple Leafs franchise history. Because, again, if they win that game, I don't think they end up moving Dion a couple years later. I don't think that they... Uh, they probably lock up Reimer to a long-term contract, thinking that he's a, a, a quality goaltender, starting goaltender in the league, which clearly neither of those two things have turned out to be true. Um, you know, they wouldn't have been in position to draft Marner, wouldn't have been in position to draft Matthews. Um, they would have, you know, held on to, to, to Phil Kessel to be that guy to build around, and they just wouldn't be in the spot that they are in now where I think that they're in a solid window to truly, truly compete in the next couple of years for a Stanley Cup. The, the funny part about that, and you bring up Reimer, that season, they were still trying to get another goalie. They were not sold with Reimer as the guy. You know, we heard the Kiprasov rumors, the Luongo rumors. Like, the Leafs were not sold on James Reimer as the goalie, but... You know, they decided, and then, you know, what happened? They went on and got Jonathan Bernier. That proved to not be the move either. And so, yeah, it, I, I, you know, looking back, and we we're talking about, you know, the what ifs. And as much as people use this as like a punching bag on Leafs fans, I mean, there's so many examples you can use against Leafs fans, but this has now become the, the quintessential. I just feel that. This, as ba- painful as it is as a memory, is probably a blessing when you, as you mentioned, everything that has transpired after. Because this false sense of hope that could have come out of that Game 7 win would have made everything that much worse. Because So, Lee's fans, you might not appreciate the memory, but appreciate what came after. Because, I mean... Uh, it would have been, uh, I think, a hundred times worse if things had gone the way that maybe people thought, and then 
the roster would have still been the same. The problems would have just persisted at that point. I mean, like you got to get your hands dirty to find the diamond, right? And I think that's kind of what the Leafs did over the course of, of three or four years. And it all began after this Game 7 collapse. Like, I think there was no direction for this team. Even you look before this, like kind of the entire um, the entire era of uh, blanking on his name. Oh, my goodness. Who's the GM? <laughs> Dave no, Nonis. No, Nonis. He got fired earlier that oh, season. Burke, Burke, thank you. For Burke, like the whole truculence and nonsense, like I, I just – it didn't seem like he had a plan. He was just trying to put together a team as opposed to build a team. Um, he was just trying to get a bunch of players that he thought – were good players as opposed to players that complemented each other well. Like signing like Mike Komisarek to a massive contract, Jeff Finger, John Michael Lyles. Like they were just signing players like it was nothing, and it really kind of screwed with their cap a lot. And they weren't able to once they figured out that these players were trash, they weren't able to move on from them, and they had to kind of buy some players out. They had to 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 retain salary, and and it just it, it didn't turn out well. Guys like Grabowski, they had to give up. Um, some picks to, to for someone to take Grabowski off their hands. Uh, again, you know, they were luckily able to get rid of uh, the other contract, some of the other contracts. But it just seems like that was a major tipping point, and that loss, I think, really jump started to what we kind of see the Leafs looking like today. So, in a way. We can thank the Bruins for when we one day beat them eventually. <laughs> Maybe this year if we get eventually. back to hockey. If not, hopefully next year. And uh, finally celebrate a Stanley Cup here in Toronto. I, I will bring up one thing that you mentioned about the um, the whole, you know, Burke and the way he built things. I think Burke was on the mandate from ownership to get this thing, to get this team built quickly. And, you know, he wasn't exactly a guy that would draft and develop players. He was more about, okay, I'm going to come in and just make the tweaks to make a team really good. Like, if you look at Anaheim, most of the groundwork was laid before Burke got there in terms of, you know, he, he got Chris Pronger. He added a couple of pieces. He never really had to build from the ground up. And I felt like that's what hindered him. And then eventually Shanahan was able to come in and sell ownership on the plan that this needs to be built the right way, looking at other teams that were, you know, the models like the Chicago, L.A., those teams that were consistently there because they had the core built from the foundation up. So, yeah, I I, I agree that this was a necessary, it's like, you know, a necessary purge that had to happen. You know, you take the sacrifice now for the glory later. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You'd subscribe to Locked On Leafs Podcast and all podcasting platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And follow Dave at D underscore Morisuti. Dave, you working on anything uh, for the NHLPA or Sportsnet? Well, the NHLPA stuff is a little bit on hold just because there's no hockey right now. Um, with Sportsnet, we're going to see because, you know, right now everything's in a wait and see with, you know, COVID-19 and everything that's going on. So 
keep an eye. There might be something in the future. We're just, uh, it all depends on what's coming up uh, with all the league decisions and everything like and that. And hopefully we do figure that stuff out sooner rather than later. Because I just want, uh, I want things to, to go back to a little bit more normalcy than than it's been lately. And I think getting back, getting sports back will kind of help with that a little bit. All right, uh, if you want some more hockey talk, be sure to go and check out the Locked On NHL podcast. You can catch that one on all podcasts and platforms as well. Uh, be sure to check back in later this week. Until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.